And on a side note, um, for those of you who don't have kids, you will lose your mind because I was practicing yesterday and then something with the baby and I left my picket home so now I have to use a car to play with. So forgive me if it sounds a little off, but it's the best I got. So here we go. Thank you, Lord, praise your name for the breath that I breathe. Thank you, Lord, for every blessing I receive. Please keep me humble and to will let's take our Bibles this morning this morning turn to Luke chapter 15 Luke chapter 15 I want to encourage you to be back again tonight at six o'clock uh, years ago uh, Dr. Lee Robertson who pastored uh, Highland Park Baptist Church in uh, Chattanooga Tennessee and grew one of the largest uh, Sunday school programs uh, in the in the nation at the time and uh, he uh, came to our church one time uh, years ago and my dad had gotten up in the service, and he said, Now, y'all don't forget uh, service tonight at 7 o'clock. And Dr. Robertson walked up behind him very kindly, put his hand on my dad's shoulder, and, and he leaned in towards the microphone. He said, Brother, he said, we're all Christians here, and nobody should ever forget that we have church tonight at 7 o'clock. So let me just encourage you, and I'm not going to remind you to be here tonight. I'm going to encourage you to be here tonight at 6 o'clock and uh, be in your place, and uh, certainly God will use it. Every time that God meets with his people is a special time. 
one of the greatest travesties, uh, I think, in the New Testament is when Christ rose from the dead. He had told Mary and, uh, to tell the disciples that he would uh, meet with them a little bit later and that she had seen him. And uh, they all met in a room and Christ appeared to them. And there were only ten disciples there because Thomas wasn't, was he? And because he wasn't there, he didn't believe. And to this day we call him Doubting Thomas. You know why? Because his faith was not there because he wasn't there when God did something. And the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so I want to encourage you every time the doors are open to be in church and be a part of it. You say, well, one, one service a week is enough. But you might miss something. Christ met with the disciples uh, a few days later after they had gone and told Thomas about it. And he said, I won't believe it unless I put my hands <clears throat> in his wounds. And Christ appeared to him a second time as a group of disciples. And guess who was there this time? Thomas, because he didn't want to miss it. He missed it the first time. And wouldn't it be a shame if God opened the windows of heaven and opened up a, a storehouse of revival that just poured out on a Sunday night, and you missed it. You missed it. So I want to encourage you to be here again tonight, and then on Wednesday night we meet again, and I want you to be here for that as well, and I want to encourage you. Pastor, we'll be back for Wednesday night, and uh, you'll get to hear some good preaching then again. And uh, look forward to that. But be in prayer for him as he travels. And certainly uh, I enjoy the opportunity to get to preach. But I don't know about you. I enjoy hearing Pastor preach. And uh, look forward to him being back as well. Luke chapter 15. We'll begin in verse number 1. We're not going to read the entire chapter. But uh, I want you to notice that there are three different parables that are given in Luke chapter number 15. Christ is a, a master teacher. And he uses parables as a way to relate to the common man and to uh, bring out scriptural and spiritual truths that he wants them to know and to be able to visualize. And so he uses things that are common to them that uh, make better sense and word pictures. And he tells these stories and these parables that have unbelievable truth packed inside of them. We find three of those in Luke chapter number 15. The first one we find is the parable of the lost sheep. And uh, somebody has said before that uh, the parable of the lost sheep is all about how God views a sinner. And I believe that's probably pretty true, that God views a sinner as a very special thing uh, that is to be one. And he seeks after the sheep. And we thank the Lord for that, that he came after us. Amen? And when we couldn't go to him, he came to us. And then the second parable we find begins in verse number 8 and following about a lost coin. And someone has said that that deals with the way that man should view those that are lost. Uh, the value of one soul. And then finally we have the parable of the prodigal son. And someone has said that is the way that sinners ought to view God. And uh, don't know that all of those hold true, but I heard this fellow say that one time. I thought, boy, that's really pretty good. Because all three of those are very important. How we view God as Christians, how God views a sinner, and how a sinner ought to view God. And uh, somebody told me years ago when I was in college, he said, there are two things that will change your life. Now, every time I had a professor say that, I picked up my pen because I wanted to write it down. I've had my life changed so many times I don't even know who I am anymore. But every time they say there's two things or three things that will change your life, I wanted to write them down because I wanted my life changed. 
And he said this. He found it in Isaiah chapter number 6, by the way. And if you take time this afternoon to read that, you'll find it. He said two things will change your life. When you see God or see yourself as God sees you. When you see yourself as God sees you. Boy, it's a humbling experience to look at yourself the way that God looks at you. And secondly, when you see God as he really is. And we, we fail in both of those areas so much in the day and age that we live. We don't see God for who he really is. Or if we do, we kind of ignore it. And we certainly don't look at ourselves the way God looks at us. We look at ourselves as wealthy and well-off and uh, spiritually we're good. And, and, hey, we come to church on a regular basis or semi-regular basis. And uh, I read my Bible and I love the Lord. And we look at all these things. And, you know, that God told the church at Laodicea that they thought they, they were well-off spiritually. And he said, you don't know that you're miserable, poor, and naked, and blind. And uh, those two things will change your life. just wanted to give that to you. It's not even part of the message this morning. Look with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a moment, and I want to say this. I believe that this statement by the Pharisees is probably one of the most complimentary statements that could ever be made about the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that they meant it as an insult, but I look at it and say, what a great Savior we have. That he was willing to be with the publicans and the sinners to meet their needs. And it's very, very important that you and I understand and learn what God's purpose in this world is and that we get involved in the work. I'm thankful that Christ, that, that the, uh, the Lord has led Pastor to uh, put an emphasis on the Great Commission here recently, and we're studying about that in Sunday school, and the importance of reaching mankind with the gospel. And we will never understand the full importance of it if we don't grasp the compassion that our Lord and Savior has for every single soul that is lost. And if we can see them the way that Christ sees them, it will make a huge difference in our efforts to reach them with the gospel. But I like what the Bible says here when it says that this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. It doesn't mean that he was stooping to their level or acting like them or living his life like them. It simply means he had compassion on them. And he wanted to reach them. He wanted to change their lives. In verse number 3, he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons that need no repentance. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning and speak to hearts. Lord, help us to understand the compassion that you have on those that are wayward. Those that either have never heard the gospel and are not saved, or perhaps those that have heard the gospel and maybe even have trusted you as their Savior, but have decided to live their lives the way that they want to rather than the way that you want them to. 
Lord, either one of the two need a a shepherd that will come and seek for them. And then, Father, for those that may be sitting here this morning saying, Boy, we're not really one of those type of people. We're doing very well in our lives. Lord, may we see ourselves and the true needs that we have. May we see ourselves the way you see us. Sinners in need of a shepherd. Lord, I pray that you would bless the message. And Father, that your Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of men. We pray that over the next few moments we would lay aside the cares of this world. Lord, it's easy for us to wonder where we're going to be eating lunch and the problems that are going on in our lives and to bring those into the church house with us. But Lord, for a few moments, may you give us peace of mind and be able to focus on the teaching and the preaching of your word. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak to hearts outwardly. Lord, we've learned long ago that it matters very little what a man says in a pulpit if your Holy Spirit does not speak to hearts. And so we pray that you would do so this morning. If there's one here this morning that does not know you as their Savior, I pray that through the preaching of your word and the conviction of your Holy Spirit that they would see that need and that they would respond during the invitation time and allow us the opportunity to take your word and show them how they can be saved this morning on their way to heaven and never having to doubt again whether they would make it to heaven or not. So, Father, we pray that you'll take full control and absolute uh, over this next few moments that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've read here a parable of a shepherd who has lost a sheep. And I want us to look at several things this morning regarding the sheep. The first thing I want us to notice as we get to verse number 4, the Bible says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go out after that which is lost until he find it? And the first thing I want us to notice about the sheep, and this one in particular that the shepherd has lost, is the foolishness of the sheep. The foolishness of the sheep. We find in the Old Testament times that many times the shepherd would find a cleft or a group of rocks or perhaps some tree lines that would surround an area and they would make a fold, many times piling up rocks or trying to make a shelter there for his sheep and he would put them all inside of this fold. And then the shepherd himself would lay down across the threshold of the floor and uh, for two reasons. One was to keep the sheep from wandering out of the fold, but also to be the protector of the sheep and to keep any uh, wild beast from coming into the fold and attacking the sheep and destroying the sheep. I don't know if you understand this or not this morning as vividly as you ought, but the, the Bible teaches us that the devil is as a roaring lion, is walking to and fro, seeking whom he may what? Devour. The word devour there does not mean he's trying to make your life hard. It does not mean that he's trying to make it difficult for you to live the Christian life. It means that he wants to destroy your life. And if we understand this vividly, we will be much more in tune with, uh, uh, as a sheep with a shepherd and understanding that his, his uh, guardian protection over us is for our good and for his glory. So many times in working with young people, uh, I've heard them say, boy, I just don't like all the rules, Brother Greg. It just, man, it just seems like the Bible's full of a bunch of don'ts. Well, wait a minute. It's a loving shepherd who's saying, listen, there's somebody out there getting ready to destroy your life. And I'm trying to keep you safe because I love you. And there's never a time that the Word of God ought to be grievous to us or burdensome to us. It ought to, on the other hand, it ought to provide great liberty and great joy. 
knowing that we can rest in the security of the shepherd. But this lost sheep, the sheep of the hundred that he had that wanders out of the fold is foolish. For he's done some things here that I believe are very, very crucial in his life. He has now left the security of the fold and of the shepherd for peril. I have watched this happen in my life, and I've watched this happen in the lives of others, how that many times we know what the Bible says, don't we? We know what God has said, that thou ought to do this, and thou ought not to do that, and all the these and thous are saying you've got to do this right and to, to be a, a Christian and a right Christian, and then you ought not to do these things in order to be a right Christian. And I've bucked at it, and I know that if we look around the room tonight, or this morning, almost all of us would have to say at some point in my life, I have bucked at those rules. I didn't like them. I thought they were uh, ridiculous. I thought I knew better. And we did something of our own accord and of our own will. And every time we do that, we become a foolish sheep. Because we are leaving the protection of the shepherd and saying, I want the peril instead. I don't understand that. I don't understand it in my life when I found it and I said, Lord, you've got to root that out of me. I don't understand it in the lives of others as I watch. It's saddening to watch many times as they leave the protection for peril and it's not long before the old uh, nasty devil comes along and he destroys the life of that sheep. It's heartbreaking. The foolish sheep has left the security for failure uh, for peril. He's left life and liberty and happiness for want and need and sorrow. And then they walk around saying, boy, this is the life, isn't it? <laughs> I have want now that I didn't have before. I have need now that I didn't have before. I have sorrow beyond sorrow. Boy, this is the life, though. I've got my freedom. The foolish shepherd. By the way, there's a lot of lost people that are foolish sheep, too. They hear the gospel. They hear Christ say, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. And they say, I don't want it. I don't want it. They hear the great gospel story, how that Christ loved them so much unconditionally that even in their sin, He died for them. And they say, I don't want it. The foolishness of the sheep. The sheep wanders out. In verse number 4, we find that He's wandered away from the fold and He goes out into the wilderness. You say, Brother Greg, how do you know that? Because that's where the shepherd went to go look for Him. The wilderness is a dry place. It's a dangerous place. You're certainly not going to find the nourishment that you need to sustain life. And if the sheep is not found out in the wilderness, it's not long before he dies. And there are some of us that are in this room today that would say, I am in this area of my life where I am a foolish sheep. And we will meet some people this week in our lifetime, in our day-to-day life, that we will find them and we'll say, that is a foolish sheep. They're rejecting the love of Christ and the, 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 the blessings that God has in store for their life as a Christian. And they're rejecting those things. We'll find them as the foolish sheep. The shepherd goes out into the wilderness and he seeks for him. He leaves the ninety and nine in the fold. He goes through the wilderness. And I want you to notice several things here as we get to verse number four, at the end of verse number four. That he goes into the wilderness and go after that one which is lost, and I want you to see this, until he find it. Walking through the wilderness is not an easy thing. But the shepherd is willing to go until he finds the sheep. And somewhere between verses 
4 and 5, he stumbles upon it because in verse number 5, the Bible says, And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And I want you to notice, secondly, the foolish sheep is also a wearied sheep. He's a wearied sheep. You can rest assured and you can mark it down that every time we stray from God, it brings weariness. We don't have the great peace. We don't have the great rest that Christ promises to every one of us that trust in Him. We put our rest on our own strength and our own wisdom and we decide that we're going to live our life the way that we want to live and we think it's the best way because, boy, it's the way the world's doing it. And they're out there partying it up and it looks like that's the way they want to live their lives and it looks like it's so much fun only to find out that's where the greatest weariness is. The sheep has wandered away. He's been in the wilderness now and the hardships and the dry and barren land probably without water and the shepherd finds him and the, the wearied sheep is reduced to helplessness and if the shepherd doesn't come along, he's going to die. I want you to notice that the wearied sheep has to be carried home and aren't we glad this morning for a shepherd who's willing to carry us home? I'm thankful that when I stray from God, He's a God of second chances. I'm thankful that when I am foolish, He's still faithful. That He comes after me and He seeks for me and when He finds me, He says, Greg, I'm going to carry you home. And we read that in Scripture and if we don't understand the full implication of this from Old Testament times, we won't fully understand what that means. In the Old Testament, when a sheep got lost, many times the shepherd would take the sheep and he would lay him across his arm and hold his two legs in his hand. And remember back in Psalm 23, we'll take a few minutes to look at some things from Psalm 23 in a few moments. But remember in Psalm 23, the, the psalmist says, Thy rod and thy staff, two different things, they comfort me. The rod was meant for correction and was not the thing the sheep looked for the most. The staff was there for comfort. And by the way, it's interesting to me that the rod and the staff both bring comfort to the Christian. Amen? When God has to chasten us, it does bring comfort because we're now back in His will. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, my dad gave us kids whoopings. And there is a difference, let me tell you, between a whooping and a whipping. The whoopings are much more memorable than the whippings. And I used to get whoopings when I was a kid. And I'll tell you this. When mom said, go to your room, your dad will deal with this when you get home, when he gets home. I was as quiet as a mouse in my room. I'd go and I'd play with my toys, but I'd be real, real quiet. I did not want, when dad walked in the door, for him to hear me in my room. I didn't want to see my dad. I would have been happy if for the rest of my life I never saw my dad again. Because I didn't want that whooping. But it was inevitable. Supper time came and I was hungry and I had to come out of my room and I wanted some food. And we're sitting there at the dinner table. My mom would tell my dad, I don't know why in the world God made mom such tattletales. But she would tell my dad what I had done wrong. And he would say, son, go to your room. I'll be there in a few minutes. And boy, the most agonizing few minutes that seemed like a lifetime. Didn't want to see my dad. Didn't want to talk to my dad. Didn't want to be around my dad. My dad would walk in that room. And he'd sit on the bed and he'd say, oh, Greg... Did you do this? And I'd say, yes, sir. He'd say, you know, the Bible teaches, and he would teach me the biblical principle of honoring my mom and my dad. He'd teach me the biblical principle of the thing I'd done wrong and say, now, we're going to do something here to help remind you next time. And I'd say, Dad, I remember. I Trust me, I remember. He said, well, we're going to get a whip in here. And it's just, he said, I don't do it because I, I'm mad. He said, I do it because I love you. 
And I want you to turn out right. He'd take that belt off and lean me over the bed. And he'd give me a whooping. They were memorable. I'd turn around, tears streaming down my cheeks. More because I had broken my dad's heart than anything. I'd sit on the bed next to him and he'd put his big arm around me and he'd love on me. He'd say, now Greg, I love you and I want you to turn out right. You know, from that moment on, I wanted to be around my dad. It brought great comfort once it was over. Because everything was right between my dad and I. Man, now I couldn't wait for him to get home because I wanted to go out and play ball with him. Now I wanted to go to work with him. And so many times we, we say, Lord, I don't want the chastening, but yet the chastening is needed. And the shepherd would take that sheep in his arm and he would hold those legs out and he would take his rod and he would crack them over the two legs and break the bones in the front legs of that sheep. He'd then tenderly take that sheep and bandage those legs and wrap them and then he would tuck them inside the cloak and there was a special pocket sewn right inside the left side of his cloak and he would bundle that sheep in there and he would carry that sheep. For the next several weeks, as those legs were being mended, he would carry the sheep. And I'm told that when the wrappings came off of the legs after they were healed, that the sheep, because he had been so close to the shepherd's heart and could literally hear the heart beat of the shepherd, that he would never wander more than a few feet from the shepherd from that point on. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could be at least as smart as a sheep? That when those times of chastening come... The shepherd in loving kindness has sought for us. We're wearied and we cannot live without the shepherd picking us up and carrying us. Maybe that chastening comes our way. But he tucks us right there near his heart. He says, Greg, I didn't want to have to do that. But I did it because I loved you. Here we find a wearied sheep. The shepherd takes him, the Bible says, in verse number 5, and lays it upon his shoulders. Look at the next word there, rejoicing. Can I help you with something this morning? God is not a vengeful God that sits there and says, I don't want that sheep anymore. Boy, he has tried me time and time and time again, and he deserves what he's getting. That's not the way my God is. My God leaves the fold and goes out looking for me. And when he finds me, the Bible says he rejoices. He rejoices. And I want you to notice, thirdly, the loving shepherd. The Bible says that he searches for the sheep in verse number 4 until he finds it. And that tells me several things about the shepherd. It tells me that there is no difficulty that is too great for that shepherd to overcome to find me. When I look at what the shepherd did for me on Calvary, I look at the great agony that he had to go through, and I look at the great uh, ridicule that he had to go through, and I had to watch as his, his own children, his own chosen people, treated him so poorly. They plucked his beard and spit on his face and smacked him and hit him with rods and said, Tell us who it is. They placed him on a cross and drove nails in his feet and his hands and hung him up and said, If you're the Son of God, then command the angels to come and get thee off the cross. All because of one sheep. There was no difficulty too great for the Savior. 
He came looking for you when you were lost. He came looking for me when I was lost. He goes in the wilderness and he seeks until he finds the sheep. I don't know what obstacles there may have been, but there was no obstacle too big. No chasm too great. No cliff too tall. No danger that was too intense for him to say, I'm not going to walk this road any longer. I am thankful this morning that none of us are God. Because the truth of the matter is, if somebody treated us the way we treat God, and we had given ourselves for them, we'd say, I'm done with them. About our loving Savior. Our loving Savior comes and He says, it doesn't matter how you treat me, I still love you. It doesn't matter how much you rebel against me, I still love you. And if you'll simply come to me, I'll accept you with open arms. I've heard people say when I've told them about the gospel, well, you don't know what I've done. God can't save me. It's too bad. Can I tell you this? There's nothing too bad. There's no obstacle too big. There's no wilderness too great that the shepherd won't come till he finds you. And having found you, he'll wrap you in his arms and put you upon his shoulders and he'll carry you rejoicing. I want you to notice the tender care of the shepherd. If you will, turn with me. Hold your finger in Luke 15. Turn with me to Psalm 23 for a moment. So many people can quote the psalm, and yet they do not know what it says. They don't understand the depths of what is said here. As the psalmist writes, the Lord is my. (laughs) He's my shepherd. And isn't that amazing? It's easy for us to look at God and say, well, God came to save the world. And, and that's a great thing. Well, He cares for everybody that's lost, but wait a minute. It means an awful lot more when He says He cared for me. We kind of expect God to save the world, don't we? But wouldn't, wouldn't it be amazing if we were the only person on this earth? To realize the fact that God would have come even if it had just been me. The Lord is my shepherd. He gives himself to us freely. And because of that, the Bible says in verse number 1, I shall not want. When we get to the place in our life where we feel that there's nothing left but God, we'll find out he's all we ever really needed in the first place. Because when we have the shepherd, we shall not want. The Bible says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And a phrase that has helped me in my life over and over again, He restoreth my soul. If any of you ever been to the place, and don't raise your hand, but look at your own heart. Have you ever been to the place where you feel like, I just can't go on anymore? The burdens are too great, the sorrow too great. My heart is broken to pieces, and I don't know if it will ever be put back together. The psalmist comes and says, but there's a shepherd that restoreth my soul. Doesn't matter how broken, 
doesn't matter how many pieces, doesn't matter how deep the valley is or how dark the night is. He restoreth my soul. That's my loving shepherd. And he's mine. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Wait a minute, David. What about those lions? What about the great deceiver who's out there lurking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour? Those wiles that he's going to be throwing at me, trying to destroy my life. What about the devil? Oh, I don't need to worry about him. Because I have a loving shepherd. It's going to allow me to walk through those valleys and fear no evil. Well, how in the world is he going to do that? For thou art with me. He's right there with us. I love to hear the stories of the miraculous deliverance that God gave to some of the Bible characters. One of my favorites is the story of the three Hebrew boys that were thrown into the fiery furnace. The Bible says when the king looked into the furnace that had killed some of his own soldiers, he saw not three but four walking around in the midst of the fire. You say, Brother Greg, how can you have great joy and great comfort in the trials of your life because he's there with us? That's my loving Savior. If we could ever see God as He really is. If we can ever get to the place where we say, Lord, You're my shepherd. You make me to have no wants. You allow me to walk through trying times and valleys and burdens and problems and not fear any evil. And You're my shepherd. Verse 5, He prepareth the table before me. In the presence of mine enemies. Right in front of them. Right when you're going through the midst of it. My cup runneth over. By the way, when was the last time as a Christian you got alone with God until your cup just ran over? You couldn't contain it anymore. The goodness of God to us. I was in college and there was a man who was preaching I love to hear these guys that can preach and preach well. I wish I could come up with things they come up with. And he was talking about how Christ deserved our laud and our honor and our glory and our praise. And he went into a story of some of the great heroes of history, some of the great military commanders, some of the great kings and He named several of them. I know Alexander the Great was one of them. He said when Alexander the Great came into the Great Hall, men would stand to their feet and offer great ovations. If William Shakespeare went to a a literary convention, people would stand in awe and raise their hands and clap and cheer him on. He said, but if the Lord Jesus Christ were to walk into our midst... Every knee would bow. And we would say, as Isaiah did, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And yet he's my Savior. Shall 
surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And can I tell you folks, my cup runneth over. When I think of the goodness of God to me, my cup runneth over. When I think of His great love to reach those that are lost, and I take the time to say, Lord, help me to see them the way you see them. Can I tell you, my cup runneth over. The burden becomes so great take the Word of God and to say, I want to show you some of the greatest news you've ever heard in your life. Because I have a shepherd. And I want you to have one too. We get back to Luke chapter 14. We'll finish, or Luke chapter 15. We'll finish up. Verse number 6. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. The day you trusted Christ as your Savior, there was a great party in heaven. It's great rejoicing. The day that you got away from the Lord and came back to Him again, can I tell you there was great rejoicing. For there was a sheep. It belonged to the shepherd. But he had gotten lost and he had gone out of the fold. He had done his own thing. The shepherd found him again, brought him back. And there was great rejoicing. He said, Brother Greg, I'm at a place in my life where I just don't feel as close to the Lord as I ought to. Can I tell you this? If you come back, there will be great rejoicing in the eyes of heaven. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and say, Brother Greg, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not even sure I am one of the sheep. Can I tell you when the shepherd finds you, there will be great rejoicing. I've met people who have sat in church services and said, I'm not going to get saved in the church service because I'm afraid everybody will... Laugh at me or I'll be embarrassed. Can I tell you this? If you're sitting here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Every Christian in this room would rejoice if you trust Him today as your Savior. No embarrassment. If you're hearing your wayward, maybe you've gotten away from the Lord as we all do from time to time. You need to come back to Him. Can I tell you there'd be great rejoicing. Great rejoicing. If we can ever get to the place where we can view a lost soul the way that God views him. We can look for these lost sheep and have the same compassion that our Lord and Savior has. We can say, I've got a shepherd and I want you to know him. I want you to have one too. I want you to have a shepherd that's going to seek for you until he finds you. I want you to have a shepherd that's going to put you upon his neck and carry you up on his shoulders and carry you. I want you to have a shepherd that will do things in your life where you won't want. Oh, I'm not saying you're not ever going to have a physical need. But you're going to be so content in your shepherd that when those physical needs come, you're going to rejoice in him. 
the protection He offers. You're here this morning, you're a Christian. You may have said, you know, Brother Greg, I really don't have those issues in my life. Can the message this morning serve to remind us how great of a Savior we have? That we could rejoice and say as the psalmist did, My cup runneth over. You know when great revival comes? Great revival is not marked by those that are lost coming to Christ. Great revival is marked by God's people coming back to Him. The lost will get saved then as a result. But there are times that I get in my Christian life and I say, I just have lost the joy. I am tired. I am weary. Just like that sheep out in the wilderness. I've gotten away But the shepherd kept after me. And when he found me, oh, the joy. Oh, the great love as he wrapped his arms around me, drew me back in, and carried me home. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're so thankful for the words, Lord, the the parable that is given here. The great picture that is given of a shepherd. Lord, what an amazing shepherd he is. Lord, may we ever rejoice in it. May we never get to the place where our salvation becomes dull. Where we are so ungrateful. Lord, may there be constant tears of joy and weeping of rejoicing. As we sing the songs of Zion and bring praises to your name. Lord, may there be literally times that our hearts swell so much within us over your goodness to us that we could say as the psalmist, my cup runneth over. Lord, there may be some people in this room this morning that have never experienced joy like that. There may be even Christians here who would say, you know, I got saved, but I just have never done enough for the Lord. I've never drawn close enough to Him to really feel the joy. Lord, may we allow the shepherd this morning to fold us in his arms. If there's someone here this morning that's not part of the sheepfold that maybe has never trusted you as their Savior. Lord, as we have a verse of invitation this morning, I wonder, would you allow that person to have the courage to step out from their chair and to come forward? Allow us to meet them here at the front and take your word and show them how they can be saved this morning. Lord, there's no greater joy in life than knowing we're saved. I pray that you would help to bring that lost one to you this morning. For those that are Christians here and just are dull in their Christian lives, Lord, I pray that you'd bring them to a point of rejoicing this morning. That you'd serve, the message was served to be a reminder to us of your goodness, all that you've done for us, and that we ought to be a sheep that never wanders more than a few feet from the heart of the shepherd. Father, bring us back to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you please